the purpose behind pain, this is what I would probably the, the sentence I would use to describe what we are talking about uh, today, how God uses the difficult times in our life to uh, teach us things, bring about victory, to make us more like him, right? We know that Jesus said in this life, <laughs> you will have trouble, <laughs> but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. I am so glad you're listening. My name's Jody Stevens. This show is about helping you live a better life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And if you like this show, I would be honored if you would leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to. And you can find other encouraging resources to my healing blogs on my website, along with my identity course. It's jodystevens.org. And my name is J-O-D-I-E, Stevens with a V. And listen, if God's done an amazing thing in your life, if you've come through a difficult time, I would love to hear from you, interested in maybe being a guest on the program, or if you have any questions that you would like answered, feel free to shoot me an email. It's connectwithjodystevens at yahoo.com. So they say what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And I believe that this can be true in life if if is the word, if we're allowing God to shape us and teach us and mold us and heal us through the hard times. So we're talking about messes becoming ministries because it's so often the case that our most challenging times in life are those very times and those very situations that God is going to use to bring us into our true self, the, the person that we were created to be and to shape that message or that ministry that he has for us. So I'm hanging out with my friend, Dennis McGuire. Dennis wrote this book called Seasons of the Cave, Lessons We Learned from the Dark Places in Life. Dennis, you wrote this book, but you're also the lead pastor. You're in Arcata First Baptist, is that right? That's right. Uh, in uh, Arcata, California, here along the beautiful Redwood Coast, we have some of the tallest and oldest redwood trees in the world. That area is so beautiful. We've been through like the Redwood State Park, I think is over there. And then mm -hmm. um, there's a guy on Highway 1 that builds or around that area and he builds these, these redwood tables. And his name's I think his last name is Warbly or something like that. We, we went in there one time and we got this this gorgeous redwood table and so what he does is when they there's fires and things like that he's allowed to go in and grab these redwood chunks and so you can go to his place and pick out your like the table that you want and literally the guy has he has like a two-year waiting list for these tables what he does is there you know those cheesy ones that are that are kind of ugly and they lacquer them way too much <laughs> yes <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it's not like that. What he does is he burns them, and they're just gorgeous. And so we ended up getting a table there. It was like, a, I think we had to wait 16 months to get this table. But it's like still to this day, that was about 12 years ago, but still to this day, one of the most beautiful pieces of furniture we have. Yeah, no, no doubt uh, Humboldt County is a real artsy community. Yeah, exactly. So in this book you've written, it's called The Seasons of the Cave. You've written about 14 different caves. And you have like the Cave of Conviction, the Surrender Cave, which I relate to probably the most. Cave of Change, Cave of Conquest, Cave of 
Close Encounters, Cave of Closure. What inspired you to write this book and what exactly is cave theology? <laughs> for those that are maybe wondering, we, we know that what the cave represents, it represents difficult times in life, but I actually know there was cave theology, but it makes sense. My book, it focuses on the spiritual study of caves as seen mm-hmm. throughout the scripture. What I do is I, I look at all these various cave stories in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that really they serve as spiritual and uh, allegories on how we can na- navigate through dark, difficult, and even despairing times that we all go through. I would say in its most simple definition that uh, cave theology is basically biblical truths mm-hmm. applied to dark and difficult times. And obviously this wasn't a book that was inspired. You weren't inspired to write it by your happy times. <laughs> Actually, o- over 30 years ago, I-, I heard a message about David and the cave of Adullam. It really had a profound impact on my life. And just uh, as a pastor over the years of my own biblical studies, the Lord brought to my attention all of these different cave stories that are in the Bible and mm-hmm. all these major characters uh, in Scripture, like Moses and Abraham and Elijah, Elisha, David, David's mighty men. Saul, Jonathan, Lazarus, even Jesus, all had these cave experiences uh, in their lives. And it was clear as I was focusing on these different cave stories that each of them brought unique lessons and had unique themes that are really applicable to both life and in ministry. And 17 years ago, I was at a large church in the Bay Area. The church had to lay off, I think, about 10 or 12 people on staff. It was after this layoff that I entered into what I like to call the seven dark years of the soul. In large part, I was disillusioned with God. Uh, I was definitely disillusioned with the church. Jody, for three and a half years of that time, I did two things. The The first thing I did was I simplified my theology. I just came to a place of resolve that God is God and he's going to do what he wants to do. And so it, it wasn't a negative thing. It was just a resolve of the sovereignty of God and how I can quit trying to give God counsel. I can quit right. tr- trying, you know, to figure everything out. I don't have all the answers. And so it was a time of really emptying myself and just simplifying my theology. And then the second thing I did was I simplified my, my prayer life. Every morning I would get up and I would say these five words, God have mercy on me. God was faithful and throughout it all, he really did manifest his mercy towards me. God just performed a, an amazing miracle. I, I find myself back in the pastorate, pastoring in a college town. And and if you would have gone into bitterness or you would have given up, you never would have learned that lesson. 
the th- th- theologians of old call it, you know, the dark night of the soul, or Peter Scazzaro talks about the journey through the wall. And the way he describes it is that these are situations that all believers have to go through. It typically involves these dark times Christians go through. They typically involve a complete crisis of faith. And, yeah. and then we're left with a choice. Right, and that choice is God. Am I going to walk away from you? And we've seen Christians make that wrong choice, or am I going to stick with you, and work through it? And that's I, that's I think where the rubber meets the road when we make the choice, you know. Because when I went through a, a super super dark, and it was about seven years too. How biblical is that? And 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 it was like I finally got to the point where I wanted to be done. Like I wanted to be done. Like God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then it was like, well, I couldn't really live with God and I couldn't really live without him. So I was kind of in a bind. And so I had to make a choice. Am I going to live with you even though you're not doing anything I want? Right? It's like Job. It's like Job. It's like, am I going to stick with you even though I have, I feel as if I have nothing. And then when you say, you know what? God's enough. God's going to got to be enough regardless of if everything is gone. And I think that's when he can do his deepest work. Absolutely. These seven dark years of the soul that I went through, I never stopped believing in God. I never stopped loving God. But I did uh, wonder whether or not I wanted to serve him. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It was a matter of a crisis of obedience and and surrender and sacrifice and really partnering with him in regard to what he was wanting to do in my life. Looking back on that time, I really think being in the pastorate for so many years, I found my identity as a pastor. Part of this was that God wanted to strip away all the titles and and just renew and refresh my identity as a son of God. That is where he wanted me to find my identity, not in ministry, not in my job, not in anything but him. And those things are so fleeting, you know, and that's that was what happened to me is I had been, grew up in kind of a very codependent environment, didn't really understand how to express feelings and stuff like that, very low self-esteem. And so everything I got for me, because I did radio for 28 years, it was, it was through that and that need for approval. And that need for approval is, it's an addiction. I mean, it's worse than taking a needle from a junkie when God tears that away. It was bad. I mean, it was so hard because, and I don't know what cave this is. But for me, because I wanted the approval, I would try to earn this approval from friends, from pastors, from people, and they would see that. And then then I had kind of a platform too. And so I just wanted people to like me, to love me. But And so I kept getting kind of betrayed. And then I would think, well, this happened at work, so I'll go into the church. Surely no one will hurt me there. <laughs> right? And then the, the, the same bad thing would happen into the point where finally I was like, God, you want me in pain. You want me isolated. You want me to be alone. You must want this. And I, I mean, and it got to the point where I was done. I said, God, I'm done with church. I'm done with striving. I'm done with all of it. I'm going to go to work and come home, and I'm done with everything else. And honestly, once I gave all that up, that's actually when good things started to happen. (laughs) But God stripping away that need for approval was 
I mean, I was almost suicidal. Like it was ruthless. I mean, it was it was the worst thing. That's why I tell people with codependency, it's not a little, uh, you know, it's rough. Like it's rough getting to the other side of that because if you're addicted to people and their approval, when God starts to pull that away, it's hard. And you know that. The thing is, though, these cave seasons, as I like to call them, they're, they're really necessary for us to go through. We have to be willing to enter in the, into those caves, even though they might look dark. You talk about the cave of confinement. It feels like maybe that's what we're in now. Without a doubt, we're in a cave. We've already talked about personal caves that people go through, but there's corporate caves that churches or even nations go through. I believe that as a nation, that's one of the places that we find ourselves in right now. And, you know, we just look at our society, our nation, and schools are closing, businesses are closing, churches are not being able to meet in person, people are on home confinement, people contracted COVID, they're in quarantine and the contract Mm -hmm. tracing people have to go into quarantine travel has been suspended or at the very least limited and so it's been a very difficult year in the life of our nation we have definitely found ourselves in the cave uh, of confinement then you you add the political storm that has been Mm -hmm. a constant never-ending daily drumming you know in in our ears this is a very dark time in our nation's history. And and Jody, I'm afraid that it's only going to get worse. I hope I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm afraid that God is now taking us into the cave of correction. So regarding what God's doing in the church, regarding what he's doing in the life of individual Christians, I I think that he's calling us to a place of, of repentance. And I'm not really sure that we're hearing that yet or willing to hear that. I think he's trying to get our attention. I think he's trying to get our devotion. He wants us to take on a spirit of faith instead of a spirit of fear that is just to overcome our culture. He wants to replace things like compromise and convenience and complacency with things of his kingdom, you know, like courage and commitment and true Christianity. I think that what we're seeing in the Church of the United States, anyway, is that we're really not the church that God's designed or destined us to be. Getting back to that place, it really begins with repentance. You know, we throw around Second Chronicles 7.14 a lot. You know, if my mm-hmm. people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then. And I, I think some of us are praying, but not a lot. I think some of us have been humbled and others are in the you know process of being humbled but i really don't think that we've uh, turned from our wicked ways unfortunately god is going to have to take us into that cave of correction before we'll really embrace what it is that we need to do as a people of god and, and i do see what's happening in the church you know when i particularly when i was in the sacramento region i was very connected with the different churches and the different theologies and the different movements, you know, social justice and all these sorts of things uh, that were going on. And and some of it was, was really good and uniting, and some of it was really disturbing. And, and it felt like 
there was so much confusion in the church, you really would have to be diligent and do your homework to figure out. I mean, as the Bible says, in the end times, even the elect could be deceived. And it, it just feels like with uh, not as much the church, but but with the you know false teachings, all these sorts of things going on, and then the political environment, um, I think people are really struggling with uh, trying to figure out what to believe. Yeah, it's unfortunate that some, as the scriptures also teach about the last days, are finding themselves uh, teachers uh, that will tickle their ears and Mm -hmm. teach things in accordance to their own desires. That's one of the real things that the church has to get back to. It, It really in many places has abandoned the scriptures and really not teaching accurately the word of truth. What do you think God's trying to do with the church right now? Do you think there's a sort of a separating of the, what does the Bible call it, the the wheat from the tares? Is that what's happening? It's kind of devastating what's happening to the church on some level. And then on some level, maybe it's good because Right, God has to strip stuff away from us so that we can come back to His Word. I mean, what do you think that the Lord is doing in the church right now? You know, God is always at work, and He's always doing things on a multitude of levels. There's uh, different layers that He's always working on, and He's always Mm -hmm. wanting to form and fashion us into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what it always comes down to. The church taking on the image of Christ and the church being Christ to the world. Part of, uh, I think, what we're seeing, and this has been the case historically, when you see uh, and read and hear about revivals and spiritual awakenings, uh, it's like that God allows us to enter into a season where he gives us over to ourselves. We are left up to our own devices, our own wisdom, our own strength. Over a period of time, come to a realization and come to a place where we really discover that we've missed the mark. And really, that's what the word sin means. It's a a picture word of an archer shooting an arrow towards a, a target, a bullseye, and completely missing the target. It, it means to miss the mark. And I wouldn't say this in all cases with God's church, because there is light and there is awakening happening in different places. But I think in large part, Jody, we, we've missed the mark. And God is turning us over to ourselves. We're going to have to come to a place where we truly do humble ourselves and pray. And then God will meet us and renew us and revive us. So we're kind of as a church, maybe in a cave of confinement, but also conviction. Yeah, a cave of conviction and a cave of correction. With correction has to come conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then you might also add a cave of compromise. So you throw in a cave of compromise in there too. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of compromise in the church today and amongst the leaders of the church. I'm not going to mention names, but recent news has revealed there is great compromise even in high leaders of levels of of leadership. I've read somewhere about, like the people in the third world, they look at the American church and they say they're impressed with all the technology and all these sorts of things. 
What they don't like is the narcissism. People don't want to suffer. So narcissistic people don't want to suffer. They feel like we have a complete lack of interest in community. The word sacrifice in the United States of America church doesn't really coincide. Now, potluck and the United States church does, uh, you know, seem to work well. I remember a number of years ago being in uh, Monrovia, Liberia, and then again in Senegal, in Dakar. I was teaching Christians and leaders to get to the conference or to the Bible college that I was teaching at. Some people would walk for days, up to three days Mm -hmm. on foot, just so they could be a part of this meeting of other Christians. And they didn't have a lot of knowledge. When I tell you what they did have was a lot of passion. These people were passionate about Jesus. And Christianity is so much different outside of the United States of America. Do you feel like there's a lot of false teaching in the church today? Yeah, absolutely. That's obviously one of the things that Scripture prophesies, that in the last days there will be false teachers, there will be false prophets. The unfortunate thing is that naive Christians or Christians that really aren't grounded in God's Word, they take the bait. Right now, I'm teaching a class on the life of Christ at the North Coast Bible Institute in Eureka. And this uh, coming Sunday evening, I'm going to be teaching about the Incarnation. In a recent survey, 80% of those interviewed did not believe that Jesus was God. They believe that he is a created being and that he's not equal to the Father. Think about that. Mm -hmm. 80% that were interviewed. The church is really biblically illiterate. The reason why is because pastors and teachers really aren't teaching the sound, solid, foundational truths of scriptures. You know, we hear a lot of 25-minute sermonettes and self-help messages, and those are good, and there's a place for those, but God's people, you know, really need to be discipled. I feel like it's really just a business of attraction in a lot of ways that we're getting into, you know, and and this whole movement of social justice and society and all those things are very important. In fact, when I do spiritual gifts tests, I score very high on social justice, but I see the way it's it's being corrupted to where it's this thing where love is kind of all that matters. And and so it feels like it allows for a lot of sin, this kind of love movement. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And we're faced with it here on the North Coast. Oh, goodness sakes. Yeah, you've got it really bad there where where it's like everything's permissible. And if you say that it's not, then you are now, you know, a bigot and a hypocrite and a anti. You're all against all this stuff. If you actually speak the truth about social things. Yeah, it's something that unfortunately the church has allowed to take precedent in the church. Mm -hmm. And so I agree with you. You know, we live in, like I said, one of the most beautiful areas uh, in the world. I think our leading party in this area is the Green Party and very strong environmental conscious here. And Humboldt State University has 
forestry department and environmental studies. And I, I love it because we really are called to be good stewards of God's creation. That was actually the first commandment that God gave to, to Adam and yeah. Eve. But the environment cannot be our primary focus. Social justice cannot be our primary focus. Politics cannot be our primary focus. Our focus has to be Jesus. Well, I hope through all of this craziness we're living in, I, I, I do believe it's we're moving towards the end time. I mean, I, guess, I think we've been <laughs> in the end times, but it just feels like the the things we're seeing happen are happening with greater consistency, you know, kind of the birth pains the Bible talks about, mm-hmm. where it's like, it used to be, there would be, you know, a school shooting and it would be, oh my gosh, or there would be a riot, it would be, oh my gosh, or there would be a fire and it would be, oh my gosh, and now we can't keep up with it. We can't even keep up with the things that are happening. So I do feel like that's, for those of you that don't know, the, the Lord said, you will know that the day is near of my return when these events are like birth pains, where they just keep getting closer together. So I do feel like we see that. I had a gal on who, uh, in one of the programs, who who escaped uh, Christian science. And so it was interesting to hear, you know, her take on it. But through that, um, I was looking into cults and stuff, and they had said there are 3,000 times more cults today than there was. And so it's interesting because we think, well, everything cycles and everything's sort of the way it was. But I thought 3,000 times more cults? That's kind of a lot. I mean, I don't know who did the math on that, (laughs) but still the point is there's a lot more uh, false stuff going on today. Yeah, there is. The problem comes when it is no longer alarming to God's people. When we allow this syncretism in the church, where there's all these different bits and pieces from this belief and this philosophy and this thing and trying to mesh it in to uh, Christianity, it really defiles the the faith. It doesn't complement the the faith at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So getting back to this concept of caves, particularly as it relates to us as, as people, uh, we were talking about kind of the church being in, in this this cave of, of conviction. But I think personally, you know, we have these in our own lives too. Uh, I can relate to the cave of maybe consequence, conviction. Um, I've been sober for 15 years, but I remember trying to get sober 15 years ago. And I remember being at this conference for Dr. Henry Cloud, who gets a mention in every podcast somehow, some way. (laughs) He has been so helpful in my life. But I, I remember specifically the Lord saying to me, you are the problem like with with your life, like you're it, (laughs) there's there's nobody else, you know? And it was then that I kind of really began that journey of of sobriety and getting a sponsor and doing all these sorts of things um, that I had to do. But I I feel like that really was the cave of conviction, you know, and where God was just really showing me, these are the things that, that you need to do in order to have a better life. I think we can all relate to these different types of caves. Yeah, it's kind of asking which baby, you know, you like the best, but... uh, I know. (laughs) You know... um, Which horrible time do you like the best? Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) What was your favorite bad season in life? By the way, caves, we're we're talking about the different caves of life is in the different difficult seasons and the very specific things that God teaches us through it. So conviction or 
correction, or maybe you're in the cave of where you need to surrender or where you need to change or where you need to, you know, so that's, that's the whole concept of the, the cave theology. I think the cave of change, I have had a fear of being forgotten. My wife and I, we don't have any children, you know, to carry on my name, to carry on my memory, to uh, remember us and pass on things that I have lived for. And for some reason, that has always bothered me, that after I die, it's not going to be too much later that I'm just going to be forgotten by the world. You know, maybe that's a bit narcissistic, but it just is, you know, what it is. In the chapter, I, I share a story about Elijah's bones that were buried in a cave. Some Israelites were in the process of burying one of their friends. And uh, on the horizon, they see this band of Moabite raiders coming in their direction. They feared for their lives, and so instead of finishing the burial, they just toss their friend's body into the cave of Elijah. This body, as it falls, it somehow lands on the top of Elisha's bones. This guy, as he touches the bones of Elisha, he comes to life and he stands up. That story is just a really uh, encouraging one to me because it, it shows that we all can have an impact on people's lives long after we've been dead and buried. And that's uh, what legacy is all about. The greatest legacies are ones that have the greatest impact, not just during the time that that person was alive, but after the, they were dead. I relate to Elijah is, yeah. is really the one I relate to the most. And my favorite scripture really is when he's in the cave or he, and he comes out and the Lord says, hey, I'm going to pass by, but I'm not in all this noise you're going to hear, but I'm in this whisper. And then he just says, what are you doing here? <laughs> I love that because it's so um, esoteric, but we all sort of get it. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just frustrated and I've had enough. You know, uh, I just love that. It, it's so, um, I, I just, I don't know what it is, but but I relate to that because he, he was just done. And I, I feel like, it, particularly as someone in sobriety, I, I'm in that cave of surrender like depending on what's happening in my life every day or every week or you know every month where i just have to constantly you know give it up and it's really hard yeah it is and i really applaud your uh victory and your sobriety uh, i lived uh, in a alcoholic family my dad was an alcoholic and my uh, older brother was an alcoholic my younger sister was an alcoholic and they all died yeah. with alcohol-related deaths. So if it wasn't for the grace of, of God, you know, there go I. You know, we come to uh, these places in our life, like Elijah. I mean, think about it here. You know, right before this time, he has the greatest victory of his life, where, you know, he calls down fire from heaven, and it consumes his sacrifice. And he... Uh, defeats Jezebel and the prophets of Baal and, and Asherah. And, and then uh, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah telling him that she's going to kill him. 
he's just filled with fear and he runs for his life. And, and we talk about this in the cave of correction. And I won't go over all the different things that, that he experienced, but he really needed this cave time for God to readjust his thought life. You know, he went from a guy that was wanting to die. He asked God to take his life. I think a lot of people find themselves at that place at one time or another, you know. And that's actually where I was. I mean, literally, it was, I don't know how many years ago now, but it was several years of, you know, I think it's probably started in 2013 or 14, and I had experienced a a deep betrayal in a business endeavor. Uh, And then in 15, my brother died of his addiction. And it was very tragic. He he had this 25-year battle with with addiction. And it just left irreversible physical and emotional family scars. Uh, My dad found him dead in a in an Oxford house. And my, you know, my my dad's not a Christian. And, and so that was I mean, it was just crazy. And so then I saw relief in the church like well, i thought that had to be safe right well and that came crashing down too and so it was just like i felt absolutely crushed by the church but when the church thing came crashing down that's when i started to question my faith in god mm-hmm. and because I, I felt like okay my family's torn apart we don't have any children I'm feeling betrayed by the church. My brother's dead. You know, I was like, God, you clearly want me to be alone because I went into this place where I was supposed to be cared about and to be healed from all this pain. And I came, when I left, my sobriety and my faith and my marriage were all under attack. Yeah. Okay. That was like the worst thing. And so... It was like the house of cards just came crashing mm-hmm. down and I was, I mean, I wanted to die and I felt like it was all God's fault, right? Um, and so then I was, that's when I was like, okay, Lord, I think I'm done with you too. Only I was still doing mornings at the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I go in and Toby Max out, you're all up, you know, and all that and Hillsong, what a beautiful, ne-, you know, and then I get even madder because yeah. I was like, God, I can't live it, you know. And, and so that's when I just, I made that choice. I was like, okay, God, I can't live with you. I, I can't live without you, but I'm going to stick this out, but I'm not going to strive anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to create recovery programs. I'm not going to teach anything. And, you know, I'm not going to strive for anything. I'm not going to create shows. I'm not, I'm not going to do any of this stuff. I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm just going to work and I'm going home. And, and it was interesting because that's when I worked out a situation with William Jessup University and I ended up getting a master's degree and all these kind of these different doors started to open up for me when I quit trying to get approval from other people. And, and I just, I stopped, I ended up going to therapy instead of church, you know, <laughs> with a Christian therapist. And um, I remember her saying to me, you know, cause I was, I was angry. And she said, why would you let people or the church take away what you have with the Lord? Right. And I just thought, wow. You know, you're right. Like, it's not about them. It's about me and God. Like, wh- why should they steal that? Not that not that they, int- you know, it just, it's not like they woke up and said, oh, we're going to do this. I mean, I'd, they probably don't even know what they did. But you know what I mean? And and so, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so going through all that afterwards, it was like 
this freedom entered into me because I just didn't need that people pleasing and that approval anymore. And it was kind of an amazing thing, but God had to take it. Like, it was like, I just had to keep getting rewounded by people mm. rewounded. And I even wrote a blog, like, why does God re keep rewound, rewounding us in the same place? Cause we're not getting it. You know, we're not getting it. And by the time he tore it all away, it was like, I could really feel God and allow him in because I wasn't listening to the voices and needing that, uh, you know, that approval of everyone else. But I'm telling you and anyone else that's gone through this, if, if you don't stick through it and sometimes you have to get the help you need or you maybe you need to get on medication or you need to do something for a while. You know, they said you're having a major depressive episode. And so I had to push through and get the help that I needed. And once I did that, it was like this new freedom and joy began to enter enter into me. That's when things started to happen in my life. Yeah, we, we have to partner with God to get to the place that we need to get to. And you mentioned a couple of times in our discussion, you used the word betrayal. I'm the type of guy, part of my DNA is I'm fiercely loyal. It's a part of who I am. It's one of the things that I... Uh, highly value. And so I, uh, I expect it from my leaders. I expect it from my staff. I expect it from people. There are times that we're going to be betrayed. I mentioned this in, in the book, how David was betrayed by his own son, Absalom. Mm. You know, just think how mu that must have feel, the, your own child betraying you and, and and trying to kill you yeah <laughs> wow yeah mm -hmm. i've experienced betrayal you know from a son of the in, in the faith and from other people over the years you know the very last chapter of the book is the the cave of closure and i think that's a really important cave that we all need to eventually end up in that's a place where we can bury our past and but to move forward, uh, it's really vital for us to let go. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. I press onward, you know, to what lies ahead. It's coming to this cave of closure where we can take as much time as we need to dig the hole and to bury uh, the thoughts and the emotions and the experience and so forth where we can once again begin to partner with God for a preferred future rather than hanging on to the past and letting it hinder us from moving forward in the things of God. And then really just being able to look at what he taught us through it and how we can apply that later. You know, when we talk about betrayal, everybody's had that, but we all play a part in it, you know, where now it's like, and you could probably relate to this too as a pastor, where there's probably things you would not do again and oh, yeah. people you would, you know, you, your discernment now has, has shot up through the roof where you can probably spot things now a, a mile away that you would have gotten involved in when you were younger. Yeah, just off the top of my head, I've learned over the years to always be really cautious about people who are answering questions you're not asking. How, how does that play out? Yeah. Say, for instance, betrayal. Pastor D, I would never betray you. <laughs> I, w I wasn't thought, thinking about that. Why are you? Things like that. Because it reveals information, it right? It reveals something, yeah. It exposes something. 
It's kind of like the guy in the dark parking lot at 3 a.m. that says, I'm not going to hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure why you're here. (laughs) Clearly, you're just trying to be nice at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, and he also has a mask on, but that's pretty commonplace now, huh? I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like all these caves that you talk about, they're, they're super important. My favorite scripture, and you actually mentioned it in your book, is is in John, where the the Lord says, "I am the vine, and my Father's the gardener." And He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And that's the to me the cave is the cutting away of what we're not, and it just hurts. Yeah. And that's to me what all these caves are. Is God saying, um, "This is painful, but this is for your growth. This is for your pruning." We have to come to realize some things when it comes to the caves that we find ourselves in. And and it's this, that God is for us. He's not against us. Despite our confusion, despite the uncertainty that we might be going through, God knows what he's doing. And so we have to trust him. You know, we also have to understand that it's just a season. It's not going to last our entire lives. Just like there's a beginning, there will eventually become an end. You know, I talk about in the book, uh, I use the thought of cave monsters. When in the natural cave structure, you know, there's some really creepy, scary things that you could find in a in a cave. Spiders and snakes and bats and lions and bears. And in the same way, uh, when we enter into these spiritual cave seasons, we face cave monsters as, as well. And they're not those type. They do have names. Their names can be fear, pride, mm-hmm. jealousy, you know, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, wounding, pain, worry, you know, the list can just go on and and on, that they're real things. They're real live cave monsters that uh, we have to come face to face with, uh, deal with them in faith, knowing that God desires for us to conquer those things. His goal is not for us to stay there. You know, I think, I think, and let me ask you this, how do we get out of the cave? Like if we know we're in a dark season, what are the steps to take to, to, to get out? Yeah, another good uh, question, because that's usually the only thing we're concerned with for, for mm-hmm. a while, right? You know, how do I get out of this? Not thinking of what God might be doing. Well, I, I would boil it down to three C's, cooperate, comply, conform. And I know this goes against our nature, but I would I- encourage your listeners to don't try to get out of the cave before it has its desired effect on your life. We see uh, in the Old Testament with the children of Israel and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason why is because they refused to learn what it was that God was trying to teach them, which basically was two things, faith and obedience. You know, the great hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And that's what he was trying to teach them was faith and obedience. Uh, So because they refused to learn those two things, it just became, you know, one more trip around Mount Sinai. 
So sometimes we want to escape. Sometimes we want to run out of the cave before it has its desired work. And and I would just say also, and maybe you can relate to this as, as well, I've had to visit a number of these caves that I write about in my book more than once. And, yeah. and we have the tendency to think, well, Lord... I, I thought I've already been there and done that. And the answer is yes, uh, you have been there. You have done that, but we need to do a deeper work. There's a saying in recovery, more will be revealed. <laughs> it's like peeling <laughs> back layers of an onion. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, well, I would just, I love Psalm 66, 10 through 12. It says, uh, for you, God tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us mm. into prison. You laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. Only someone in recovery would love this. But then he says, or then it says, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Mm. You know, and it, it's it's like everything in life. To me, that just says it all because he's talking about being tested. He's talking about being refined. He's talking about punishment. He's talking about like everything, you know, is saying you're going to go through all this stuff, but I will bring you out. I will bring you out. And so my encouragement for everyone is just, you know, I've been there. I know Dennis has been there. Don't give up. Understand God is going to work you through to the other side of this. Uh, It's just going to hurt. It gets harder before it gets better, right? Right. And I just uh, say yes and amen. We've spent a majority of the time talking about the hard things and the difficult things that these seasons of the cave bring about in our lives. But I I also want to share with your listeners that there's also treasures to be found in in these caves. And uh, I, I mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls in my book and how these scrolls were discovered in a number of caves and they are literally priceless. They, they are just so valuable in the same way that there are treasures for us to find in our own personal caves. But we have to enter the cave to find them. And sometimes those treasures are a, a greater revelation of God or his love for you. Maybe it's a greater degree of Christ-likeness. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's closure. I encourage us all when we find ourselves to go about digging for treasures while we're in this season. Take advantage of it. See what it is that you can unearth and discover. I would also uh, encourage the, the listeners to know that some caves, you can find beauty as well. Yeah. Uh, you look at the, you know, some of the natural caves, they're literally majestic and filled with, with wonder. And the, the sights and the, the sounds can actually be you know, uh, overwhelming as you find yourself looking at, at these things. And in the same way, there, there are amazing things that God wants us to discover uh, as we navigate through this time. And some of them are really beautiful, where where you can discover something about yourself that you never realized before, where mm. God brings out these gems, you know, these diamonds uh, that we didn't know existed. Even though they're they're dark, they can be hard and rocky uh, experiences. There are treasures, and there are there is beauty to be found. Yeah, there's that whole 
kind of theology of being hidden with Christ, you know, and and I've I felt that too, like in the darkest times where like I just felt sort of almost like I was hidden in Christ. Like God was I knew it was painful, but I also knew somehow in my spirit that he was really covering me and keeping me protected from something. Yeah. Even if it was myself. (laughs) Dennis, thank you so much for chatting today. Dennis McGuire, your book, Seasons of the Cave, Lessons We Learned from the Dark Places of Life. Is this a, uh, how can we get in touch with you in the book and all that? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon and it's available with both uh, paperback and Kindle. And don't forget, you guys, uh, I would love it to connect with you. You can find me on my website, jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I E. <laughs> no one ever spells my name right, Dennis. It's J O D I E. So Jody Stevens with a V.org. You can email me, connect with Jody Stevens at yahoo.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your story. If you have any questions, I'd love to uh, bring up your questions on the next episode and bring you some suggestions, healing, closure. Again, interested in being a guest, reach out to me and, and share just your, your, your story of, of what God has done in your life. So God bless you and thanks for listening.